My bones, my bones are creaky this morning. Oh, I'm standing in front of the the heater. I'm a wall heater, and oh, my back is warming up. It's been in the low 30s here every morning with frost and ice on the cars in the morning and on the roofs. So I'm sure that we had another frosty night. Yes, I still frost on the top of my garage roof from here, the window, the kitchen window. I'm starting a cast this morning. I hope to be reading some more into my Emily Carr. Her Growing Pains, her autobiography. Let me get my coffee started. I, uh... I've had a couple of days of teaching in a row, and I always notice when I do that that I just... I'm moving slower after that. <laughs> it takes a lot for me to go into a classroom and do the lesson plans. And Yesterday I was at a middle school. Let me get my coffee going here. And the kids were really great. But they're full of energy. Seventh graders. It was all seventh graders I had. Math. Great kids. And only tried to test me a few times. Most of them were. I mean, actually, it's probably one of the better schools that I sub at. They listen to you, at least. They've been for some reason, that school has it down. Their teachers have it down. That when you say it's time to get down to work and be on task, they do it. <laughs> so, yeah. That was that. And it wasn't that hard of a day. So I've got my coffee rolling. I thought I might start out with a little bit of Mary Oliver this morning. I'll do that in a separate piece. I um, I went to bed last night listening to her. I got something from my library that is all of her. Or it's a collection of her reading her own poetry or some of her poetry. Her she's prolific, actually as I've discovered in trying to read her work. Um, <clears throat> lots and lots and lots of books and thin books of her pieces. And so it's interesting because I found the Truro Bear and other adventures. There's some essays in there which I have not read yet. And last night I was listening to her as I was drifting off to sleep, her poems about her dog, Percy. Yeah, and I noticed that those some of those poems are here in this book called The Truro Bear. What happened? I turned off my coffee instead of saying it was time to go? Yes, I did. <laughs> Jeez. So then also there's a book called Thirst which I haven't really looked into. Good morning, Maggie. How are you? Um, yeah, you have something to say. Oh, yes, you probably need your food, right? I haven't fed you yet. Um, anyway, there were some great poems that she read aloud. Um, also on, on YouTube, she was at some sort of a reading when she put out one of her books. I'm getting all kinds of interruptions today. I just got a phone call, so now I don't know if, <laughs> if all of this recording is here. So I'm going to stop the recording and get my 
act together before I begin reading today. Good morning. the sound of the dripping coffee. Mm. The smell of the coffee. So yesterday while I was at school, I had a teacher, a student, an aide that came in to the classroom and she asked if I would be available to substitute for a special day class, a special ed class in the next couple of weeks out. So I met that teacher, so I'll be going back to that school. Yes. (laughs) All right. My coffee is ready. sitting now in front of my window in the studio space. Mm. And I'm just going to sort of... There was a poem here I thought about reading. <clears throat> I think this thirst... Well, it has some of Percy in there as well. I think this thirst book is all about when her partner passes away and she's processing grief. Yeah, processing grief. I don't know what this one's about, so I'm just going to read it. It's called The Winter Wood Arrives, and this is by Mary Oliver. I think I could have built a little house to live in with the single cord, half seasoned, half not, trucked into the driveway and tumbled down, but instead friends came and together we stacked it for the long, cold days that are maybe the sure, only sure thing in the world coming soon. How to keep warm is always a problem, isn't it? Of course there's love and there's prayer. I don't belittle them and they have warmed me, but differently from the heart outwards. Imagine what swirls of frost will cling to the windows, what light white lawns I will look out on. As I rise from morning prayers, as I remember love that leaves never sorry, that leaves yet never leaves as I go out into the yard and bring the wood in with struggling steps, with struggling thoughts, bundle by bundle to be burned. That's called The Winter Wood Arrives. Hmm. I like Mary Oliver and the more I read her and listen to her, the more I like her. So, I think I'll leave it at that. I have a little bit of coffee here, and mm, oddly enough, I made my last paleo waffles, these, these frozen paleo waffles, which aren't bad. Um, 
them in the toaster and then I today I put some peanut butter on top <laughs> not probably sounds doesn't probably sound too appetizing does it so I think we left off with Mary uh, not Mary um, Emily Carr at St. Ives we shall see St. Ives. As our train slithered through the small prettiness of Devonshire, I was angered. My parents had so lavishly praised its beauty to us when we were children. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> I wondered if after many years in Canada it would have seemed as small and pinched to them as it did to me seeing it for the first time. Something one could fold up and put in his pocket, tiny patches of grass field hemmed, tiny patches of grass field hemmed about with little green hedges. When we came to Cornwall, the land grew sterner and more jagged, stony fields separated by low stone walls, stunted, sorry, <laughs> it's funny when you go from one kind of reading to another and of course I've had to say this a few times reading Emily Carr's Growing Pains that her writing is interesting because there's a lot of it that has no punctuation so I have to sort of figure it out as I go which makes it a kind of a challenge Alrighty then, but this actually, this paragraph does have, um, does have uh, punctuation. I'm just not reading it right. Okay, let's start a paragraph again. When we came to Cornwall, the land grew sterner and more jagged. Stony fields separated by low stone walls, stunted, wind-blown trees, wild but not with the volume of Canada's wildness. Cornwall's land had been punished into tameness, but her sea would always be boisterous, stormy. From Devonshire to Cornwall, the land changed. Devon was, as it were, pernickety, pernickety check, while Cornwall loosened to broader plaid. My luggage looked sneaky and self-conscious, wheeled into the Temperance Hotel. I knew Mrs. Compton's red wine blushed in its middle. I tried to forget its presence as I entered the hotel, a sour-faced structure down in the old town. Never having stayed alone in a hotel before, I entered timidly. The old town of St. Ives lay low, its Rocky edges worn by the violence of the sea. Hmm. On the hillside above was a smarter, newer St. Ives, composed of tourist hotels, modern houses, and fine studios of artists who had inherited wealth or made names. Few students could afford the heights. Most students, other than snobs and the ultra-smarts, lived down among the fisher folk in the old town. Fisher folk packed themselves like sardines in order to enlarge their incomes by renting rooms to student lodgers. Many of the old sail lofts were converted into studios. A few students lived at the Temperance Hotel, and from them I made inqu inquiry about studios. Did I want to work? Did I want work or studio parties? Work. Weird. It has a question mark. Oh well, I'm gonna go back and try to read that again, sorry. It's got all these dashes and question marks. <laughs> and italicized. Did I want work 
or studio parties work, then go to Julius Olson's studio. He worked you to the last gasp. To Julius Olson, I presented myself. Julius Olson's studio had been an immense sail loft overlooking the sea. The massive blue-eyed Swede carelessly shoved my fee into the sagging pocket of his old tweed jacket, waved a hand towards the beach, and left me stranded like a jellyfish at low tide. He striding off to criticize canvases which some boy students were turning from the walls. I'll show you, said an Irish voice at my elbow. Hilda was the only girl student in the room. You will want to outfit, she asked. I have my kit. She looked at it with disapproval. Too tight, too light. Joe insists on weight. She exhibited her own equipment. Gracious, that easel is as heavy as a cannon. And that enormous brown brass-bound paint box, I can't, I won't lug such heaviness. Joe bellows if you cross his will, warned Hilda. Let him roar. She, le- she led me to the open front of the studio. Great doors folded back, creating an opening which was wide enough to admit three or four fishing boats abreast. A bar was fixed across the opening. We leaned on it, looking at the busy fisher life buzzing on the beach below. Morning fish market was in progress. Buyers raced down from London on swift express trains, bartered for the night's catch, raced it back to London's markets. Not Cornwall, not Cornwall ate sea, sorry, not Cornwall ate St. Ives fish, but London In St. Ives, you could not buy so much as one herring. Shrill-voiced fishwives bargained. Children yelled. Cats yelled. Every house roof, every street, every boat swarmed with cats. Each wife had seven sacks. Each sack had seven cats. Each cat had seven kids. This was obviously the cat, St. Ives of our nursery rhyme book. The tide was far out. Looking down on it all, I was suddenly back in Mrs. Compton's drawing room, standing before Moffat Linder's picture, St. Ives Beach. Sky, sea, mud flats were shown, but he had left out the, hus- the bustle and the smell. Now, said Hilda, to the sands and work. Not work on those sands amid that turmoil. Joe insists, white boats in sunlight, sunlight full on the canvas, too. Joe will find me in a shady street and sitting with my back to the wall so the rubber noses can't overlook. Hilda's head nodding, nodded forebodings beyond wording. I'd advise you, I'd advise that you don't let him see you, see you work sitting, was par- her parting head shake. Leaving me to my fate, she went off lugging her heavy kit. (laughs) One thing for sure, this Emily Carr has a mind of her own, doesn't she? (laughs) I once felt that way. I was an older art student in my art school and there were several of us older folks there, but then most of the painters were I don't know early 20s late late you know right out of high school or right close to their early 20s and I'll never forget the master student telling us or the master uh, like teacher's aide telling us that um, now I've totally forgotten what I was going to say how weird is that let me reread what I just read to kind of uh, advise you that you don't let him see you work sitting oh I guess I meant that it's like the gal said to us you know in order to pass art school (laughs) 
especially in the master's program, you had to take a stand. And even when class criticism or even a professor might try to bump you off what you were doing, you had to feel strongly about it if that's really how you wanted to do the work. And because they were going to push you, that was their job. <laughs> sort of reminds me of that. Okay. Hmm. So back to her. After she's lugging her heavy kit. Stump, stump, I heard Joe's heavy footfalls on the cobbles and trembled. Not scared of Joe the man, but of Joe's artist eye. A splendid eye for color, space, light. Nervous as a cat, I waited. Sitting to work? Bad foot, sir. Huh. I said the sands, didn't I? Sunshine on sea and white boats. With the first puff, that thing will blow out to sea, pointing to my easel. Get the weighty standard. Too heavy to lug, sir. Mine is weighted, see? I showed him a great rock suspended in a paint rag and hung from my easel top. If you please, sir, the glare of sea and white sand blind me with my blind me with headache. Joe snorted and strode away. Adoring English students never argued with their masters. <laughs> he came back by and by, gave a grunt, made no comment and was away again. That was my first day of study under Julius Olson. We remained antagonistic, always. I believed each admired the other's grim determination, but neither would give in. The St. Ives students were, kindly, were a kindly lot, ready to give, ready to take criticism. We numbered 10 or more in the studio. Three Australian boys, a Frenchman, an ultra-Englishman, and an ultra-English woman, swells rooming up on the hill, a cockney boy, the Irish girl, and myself, and the nondescript old women. <laughs> oh my god, I didn't see this. And the nondescript old women who are found in most studios just killing time. Oh god, oh no. You know, there was one in my class. She was in our age group. She's a little older than me. I don't know, I think maybe there were a couple that were about 10 years older than me when I was in class. <laughs> Oh God, this makes me crack up. See, I think I, I was a serious student. I really feel like I'm still trying to be a serious artist, and I know it's like almost ridiculous, but I'm still at it, right? <laughs> Twenty-something years later, and uh, <laughs> um, but this gal, in particular, in my class, she, at the end of our you know, at the end of our time there, when we were graduating, <laughs> she gave me all of her expensive oils, and she gave me canvas and stuff. She wasn't, and she gave me a huge brush, and she gave, she just sort of unloaded her stuff onto me, because it's almost like she wasn't going to do it anymore. It was weird. It was bizarre. So I inherited this whole box full of like French paints. I mean, big tubes, big tubes, because she had a lot of money. <laughs> I was like so grateful. I'm like, yeah, thank you very much. And I, um, I still have some of those tubes. I'm still using them. <laughs> I'm actually down to, I've had to replace a lot of paint, but I'm pretty much down to the end of my old paints from her. <laughs> wow, what a great memory. Hmm. Okay, sorry, I digress. That was fun. So, what did they call us? Old women that just sort of hung out to nondescript old women who were found in most studios just killing time. Terry was her name. I wonder if she's still painting or if she ever did paint after that. 
Okay. We met in the big studio at 8 each morning to receive crits on the work done in the afternoon before. Olson gave us criticisms three times a week, his partner Talmage the other three days. What one taught the other untaught. It was, <laughs> it was baffling but broadening. After crit, we dispersed. The master came whenever, the master came wherever we were working to examine our work on the spot. From eight in the morning till dusk, we worked outdoors in all weathers except during hurricanes. The great studio doors were shut then and we huddled under the studio skylight and worked from a model. But, Miss, but St. Ives was primarily a school for land and seascape painting. I found living quarters next to the churchyard. My host was a maker of antiques. He, is, he specialized in battering up and defacing old ships' figureheads and grandfather clocks. Six grandfathers higgly-piggly their ticks in my sitting room. When they all struck high count hours simultaneously, your hands flew to your ears and your head flew out the window. <laughs> my window opened directly onto the cobblestone street with no mediating walk. Heavy shoes strike heavy shoes striking cobblestones clattered clattered day and night. Student heads wrapped in student grins thrust themselves through my window announcing We are about to call Then I rushed like a flurried hen to protect the complete beach. This object was an enormous mahogany and glass cabinet and a glass cabinet in which was displayed everything nautical except a mermaid. Shells, coral, seaweed, fish bones, starfish, crabs, all old and brittle as eggshell. My foot and that of every student who called on me itched to thrust through the prominent glass corp corporation of this rounded glass monster to crush crackle. My hosts, the Kurnows, valued the thing highly. When a student warned through the window, I pushed the six straight-backed leather chairs whose leather laps were usually under the big mahogany dining table, as if the chair feet had corns and were afraid of having them tramped on, and circled the chairs round the complete beach. <laughs> The room was not any too large. What with this massive furniture, a fireplace, the cat, and me in it, it was overfull. My bedroom was marvelous. You reached it through an ascending streak of black between two walls. The treads were so narrow that they taught your toes the accuracy of fingertips on a keyboard. But glory dawned when I opened my bedroom door. Two large windows overlooked the sea. In the center of the room stood an enormous bed, mahogany, carved with dolphins, galloping on their tails. Mrs. Curnow told me this treasure antique was built in the room by Pa Curnow himself. It would have sold many times over, only it had been built in the room and could never be moved because no door, no window, certainly not our stair, would have permitted the passage of its bulk. There were four posts to the bed and a canopy of pink cotton. I was solemnly warned not to lay so much as a pocket handkerchief across the floorboard. Sorry. I was solemnly warned not to lay so much as a pocket handkerchief across the footboard for fear of scratching or otherwise defacing a dolphin. Even on the sideboards, dolphins galloped. I had to tot myself, run and vault, in order to avoid touching one. When at night, I retired to rest on the hard, unbouncy mattress. Beside the bed, there was, a little, there was little else in the room. A meager, a meager, a meager, sorry, a meager, 
washstand, a chair, a clothes closet set in the wall. The closet contained all the family's quote-unquote best. (laughs) This is a Cornish way. Rental of a room does not include its cupboards. Mr. Kernow family were reputed the cleanest folk in St. Ives because for years they had threatened to install a bath in their house. No other family had gone that far. I bargained for a hot wash once a week. The three women, mother and two girls, who would never see 40 again, gravely consulted. It could be managed, they said. It could be managed, they said mournfully. But Saturday was always an anxious and disturbed day for the Kernow family. Ma tiptoed into my room after supper and, carefully shutting the door, whispered, The cauldron, miss, it is heated to wash your feet. She would not have allowed the girls to hear mention of such a thing as a bath. No one suspected me of of such indecency as taking an (laughs) all-over, quote-unquote, all-over. I don't know how that works. Anyway, yeah, those were different days, huh? The tin-foot bath was set as far as possible from the dolphins, who were draped in pink calico for the event. Greatest secrecy was exercised in getting the bath down the dark stair and through the kitchen without old Kernow or a visitor seeing. The girls frankly admitted they preferred men lodgers. If they must bathe, they did it in the sea. When storms came, the whole St. Ives Bay attacked my room with fury and with power. The house was built partly on the seawall, and waves beat in thuds that trembled it. The windows of heavily of heavy bottle glass, stoutly braced, were dimmed with mazed green lights. I was under the sea. Sea poured over my window. Sorry. Sea poured over my roof. My windows were translucent pouring green which thinned drew back receding in a boil of foam leaving me amazed that the house could still be grounded water raced up the alley between the graveyard wall and our house curled over the cobble street to meet the flood pouring over the low rooftop of the house on the other side of ours we were surrounded by water privies perched on the seawall, jaunted gaily off into the bay. Miles inland, bundles of white fluff, dry as wool, clung to the trees. It was beaten foam, carried inland by the tearing wind. These storms were, of course, exceptional, but there was usually breeze in St. Ives, though she had many, many bright, glistening days. Sea sparkling, air clear, mud flats glowing. Tides ruled the life of the town and of the fishermen. All night lanterns bobbed, men shouted, boats clattered over cobbles, cats prowled the moonlight, their eyes gleaming. The Irish girl Hilda and I were warm friends. Outdoors we did not work together. She was for sea, I for land. But we hired fisher children to pose for us in the evenings, working by a coal oil lamp in my sitting room. The boy students jeered at our life class, but they dropped in to work with us off and on. The atmosphere of Julius Olean Sorry, the atmosphere of Julius Olson's studio was stimulating. He inspired us to work. He was especially nice to his boy students, inviting them up to his own fine studio on the hill, showing them his great seascapes in the making, discussing an artist's problems with them, treating them as fellow workers. Mrs. Olson was a billowy creature who only called on those of her husband's students who were worthwhile. She did not call on me. I never liked Joe much, 
but I respected his teaching and the industry which he insisted that his students practice and which he practiced himself. Christmas came. Everyone went home except me. The Olsons went to Sweden on their yacht. Noel, a nice English student, came to me, bid me goodbye. I say, it's going to be beastly lonely for you without ever, with everybody gone. Studio shut. What shall you do with yourself? Explore. Albert will still be here. He will pilot me. He knows Cornwall. Albert? That wretched little cockney? It's, no, it's not a question mark. Sorry. Albert, that wretched little cockney, said the autocrat Noel with a lift of his nose. Now, I don't know if it's Noel or Noel. Probably Noel. N-O-E-L. As an aside, every year, or every year, every day that I go into a classroom, I am stumped by a name somewhere down the line. There's so many different connotations and sayings and spellings of names now. Now, this is... I've heard of Noel or Noel, but I guess Noel would be N-O-E-L-L-E, maybe. Mm. And as a and as a male, I'm sure it's Noel rather than Noel. But as the aside goes on here, I'm just fascinated by the different spellings and the different pronunciations of names of my students these days. It's just fascinating. And when I take attendance, so many teachers leave a seating chart. And I like to actually either go around and talk to each of the students and ask, you know, make sure who's who, which takes way too much time. Or I usually try to say their names out loud as an attendance call, you know, a roll call. Just so I can learn their names and see a face with a name, even though I don't remember them all the time. Some some stand out and I'll remember them, especially if the kids have made themselves known to me by reasons. But, um, you know, I'm just, it's amazing to me, all the differences today. You would not even believe half the stuff that's out there if you aren't in a classroom. It's just, it's just amazing. Okay, so back to this, back to the reading. So Noel left, uh, saying Albert was a wretched Cockney, and he had lifted his nose. I could visit too if I wanted. I tossed a letter across from Noel to read. horses to ride and all and you turn this down he exclaimed don't like the outfit connections by marriage snobs title too what matter put likes and dislikes in your pocket silly take all the good times you can get take and hate the giver Noel shrugged I was going to ask mother to invite you to visit us in the summer holidays How about it, Miss Snifty? Try. Tell me, what are you doing at this present moment? Asked Noel. Hat, felt slipper, snipping, sewing, it's beyond my figuring entirely. Felt from under the hat ribbon provides provides patch for toe of slipper. See, Mr. Dullhead, I fitted the patch. Noel's roaring laugh. Canadian thrift. He vaulted through the window shouting, I'll ask mother about the summer visit. Cornish people love a wrench of misery with every joy. The Kernows wept all through Christmas. I came upon Pa, Ma, and both girls stirring the plum pudding. I ate eyes sploshing tears down into the mixing bowl. (laughs) Anything wrong? Always something wrong for we, wailed Ma. Let me see how long this chapter is. Oh, we've got three more pages here. (laughs) Actually, um, it's a longer chapter than normal. Okay, sorry. Let's see. 
Anything wrong? Always something wrong for we, wailed Ma. It seemed some relative preferred to Christmas elsewhere than with the Kernals. Their grief seemed so disproportionate to the cause that I laughed. Eight mournful looks turned upon me. You be often merry, miss. Thousands of miles betwixt you and yours, you little, you, yet you'd laugh. This was reproach. There was reproach in the voice. Under the guidance of Albert, I saw Pom- Polpero, Mousehole, St. Erch, St. Erch, St. Michael's, Mount, and more places. Little Cockney Albert enjoyed having company. He was not quite one of us. No one bothered about him. For one week, Albert and I holidayed, then I fell on work with doubled fury. I knew I was a fool, grinding, grinding, but I had so much to learn and so little time. They all came trooping back to the studio. Olson outstayed himself by a matter of six weeks. Talmudge took charge. High on the hill, I discovered Trigana, Trigena, sorry, Trigena wood, haunting, ivy-graped, solemn Trigena. Talmadge saw what I had been doing up there during the holidays, away from the glare and racket of St. Ives. He was a calm, gentle man, one who understood. Trot up to your woods. That's where you love to be. I will come there and give you your lesson. I gave a delighted squeal. Oh, but Mr. Talmadge, wouldn't it be too far for you to come for my lesson alone? None of the other students work there. Trot along. One works best when one is happy. Trigena or Trigena Wood was solemn, if not vast. A shallow ravine scooped through its center. Ivy crept up the tree trunks to hang down in curtains. No students worked here. Few people passed this way. A huge white sow frequented Trigena, a porky ghost rustling through the bushes. She aimed always to pass at lunch hour so that she might share my lunch. If I had any form of pig meat, Mrs. Kern- Mrs. Kernow had often gave me fat pork sandwiches. Then out of the delicacy, I did not offer anything but the bread crust. The students teased me about my lady friend in Tregana, but I loved my sow. I wrote a poem and made a skit about the students and her. It was more complimentary to the sow than to the students. I said to Tamal, Tamaj, Talmage, Talmage. <laughs> Sorry, guys. I don't care if Joe never comes back. I learn much more from you than from him. Joe is the better artist, replied Tamage. Joe is genius. What I have got has been got through grind. Probably that helps me to understand my students' problems better. He praised my wood studies highly. So did the students. Joe came home. Joe's home. Crit's in the studio at 8 tomorrow. A studio. A student's head thrust the news through my window. I had a vast accumulation to show Joe. I knew the work was good. Happy, honest stuff. I, I had another call come in. Uh, <laughs> is, there, is there no way to stop the calls from coming in when you're recording? Hmm. Maggie's here. (laughs) I love her little squeak box. Okay, back to the reading. Sorry, guys. Hmm. Where am I? Okay, so Joe's home. Crit's in the studio tomorrow at 8. I had a vast accumulation to show Joe. I knew the work was good. Happy, honest stuff. I swung into the studio with confidence. Joe was pacing the floor. The Frenchman sat crying before his easel. Joe gave me a curt nod. Fetch your stuff. I turned my my canvas's face out, waited. Silence, except for Joe's snorts through a dead pipe. Maudlin, rubbish, he bellowed, pointing his dead pipe at my canvases. Whiten down those low-toned daubs. Obliterate them. Go out there, he pointed to the glaring sand, out to the bright sunlight paint kicking the unlucky canvases into a corner i bolted no one was going to see me as i had seen frenchy on a desolate road far beyond the town 
I came to my unhappy self. Maggie, what is it you need? Yes? I've had so many interruptions this morning trying to get this reading done. Do you need to be in my lap? She's looking around. She doesn't know what she needs. She wants a place to watch the outdoor world. On a desolate road far beyond the town, I came to my unhappy self. One either, oh sorry, on either side, the way were fields of frosted cabbages. I crept among them to sit down on a boulder, rocking myself back and forth, crying, crying till I was very hideous and very hungry. I got up. I'd see how others came out. I dragged myself back to town. Burgess, one of the Australians, studied under Joe, but he had a studio of his own. Burgess and I had a pact. He had chased away a fisherman who had religious mania and tormented any student he could find working in a quiet corner as to their views on purgatory. In return, I went to Burgess's studio with the Frenchman when the Frenchman had declared his intention of giving him a crit because unless Burgess had company, the Frenchman would kiss him not only on one but on both cheeks. It took three knocks to rouse a dreary come in when I pushed open the door Burgess was seated on a three-legged stool before a dead grate his red hair wild his hands shaky he kicked forward another stool poor mother she will be so disappointed do you suppose Grants will take back that gold leaf frame the one for your academy picture academy I'm returning to Australia right away you may have the pile of canvas stretchers Thanks, but I'm thinking of leaving for Canada myself immediately. Shamed grins spread over our faces. Let's call on the rest, see what Joe did to them. We met Ashton. He was whistling. Get a good crit, Ashton? You bet, liar, muttered Burgess. Hello, there's Maud. Morning, Miss Horn, take in your crit. Criticism first morning after Joe's vacation. Not I. Joe always returns in a rage. This time it's two, it is two rages, his usual and a toothache. You pair of young fools. She grinned at our grief-wracked faces. Poor children, I suppose you knew no better. Maud put on airs. I'm hungry as a hunter, Burgess. I'll run home for a bit. Then the sun will be just right for painting those cottages in the Digi. Oh, about those canvas stretchers? Needing them myself, we exchanged grins. Burgess had forgotten Australia. I had forgotten Canada. With noses and hopes high, we were off again to work. <laughs> I have to laugh. That is so true, what happens after a crit. You're just like, fuck you. Excuse my expression here, but you know, you are. You're like, it's like, it's like a mean group sometimes. They all mean well, of course, to make you, you know, think deeply and longly about your work. And I know it's all part of the freaking thing, but it really is sometimes terrible. <laughs> so, and the questions they usually ask, you know, it's like, you know, they're trying to dig in. What does that, why did you put that in there? And wouldn't it be better with it gone? And all this stuff, you know, they really do question your work. It's hard. So, but it works. It does get you to think about your work. Moggy, you're so whiny. Hello? Oh, you're a funny girl. There. You're okay? You want to be in my lap? Okay, come here. This has become the most longest cast. I only have two more paragraphs left to read. So they decided to go off again to work. Let me finish this, Maggie. When long vacation came... I went back to London. A sneezing creature sitting next to me in the train gave me flu. When that was through with me, I crawled to Westminster. Flu had sapped the energy I had forced so long. Mildred found me huddled on a bench in the architectural museum. Among the tombs, idle. Why motor after flu, Mildred? 
If we were not just starting for Switzerland, I'd take you home right now. <laughs> Mrs. Radcliffe groaned. You'd best take a strong tonic, Claywick. Why you should fall why you should fall to pieces the moment you come to London, I can't imagine. London suits me all right. Always kind Fred said, Try Bushy. Hertz. Claywick. Herkimer's Art School, a big art colony. Bushy is an easy run-up to London for exhibitions and galleries. You just don't thrive as Mother does in London. To Bushy, I went. <laughs> and that is the end of this chapter. And our next chapter is Bushy. <laughs> so onward she goes. Wow. This is interesting, isn't it? I don't know. Maybe not many people are interested. What I did realize about this reading is it's been too long for me to be away from the reading. I think it's been about a month. Almost. Let's see. Today is the 7th of February. I think the last time I read it was like January 23rd or something. So it's been a couple weeks. Two or three. That's the longest I've gone, I think. Hmm. I'm coming back to reading more often the book because I want to finish it and it's too long in between to know, kind of figure out what happened before. So we're, we're almost there. We've got more than two-thirds done. Probably about three-quarters done now or maybe a little less than three-quarters. But it's a good book. I like it. It brings back memories for me in paint school <laughs> mm. okay Maggie you win alright everybody have a good day this is Robin signing out from Northern California <laughs>